I, yeah, I don't like this. Welcome to Breathing Flames, the tabletop gaming podcast from IslayTheDragon.com. I'm John, also known as Farmer Lenny on Islay the Dragon, and tonight on a very special episode of Breathing Flames, we will hear from website founder Wolfie all about his top seven games. We often give Twilight Imperium-loving Wolfie a hard time for liking space games with lots of minis and for single-handedly keeping fantasy flight games in business, but tonight he gets his chance to educate us on why his games are best. Where does Kalis fall in his top seven? Which editions of Twilight Imperium appear on his list? And how many times can we say Twilight Imperium in a single podcast? With me to discover the answers to these important questions are fellow Dragon Slayers, Alex. Hello. And Wolfie. Greetings. So, so I put the over-under on Twilight Imperium mentions at 10. <laughs> All right. You forgot to say spoiler alert at the start of your spiel. <laughs> uh i'm pretty sure if this is anyone's first time listening to the podcast it might be a spoiler anyone who knows anything about you (laughs) knows that twilight imperium has got to be on your list that's fair by the way i think 10 is far too few mentions for twilight imperium we've already gone past it (laughs) i know we should have a bingo card though because i feel like your list especially wolfie is pretty uh pretty stereotypical like we've reached peak wolfie here it is peak wolfie all right, I'll just jump in. I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of a floozy with this top seven thing. <laughs> so, like, this Love this top seven list, if I made this list tomorrow, it would probably be a little different. But, you know what? Like, these are definitely seven games that I like a lot and would pretty much play at any opportunity. So, it's fine. You know, we'll just have to live with the imperfections of top seven lists. That's good enough. I mean, all art needs constraint. That's what the top seven list is. And I was literally like changing the order of this list, like right up until this podcast started. But anyway, number seven at the moment is XCOM, the board game. I know XCOM kind of gets a little bit of flack. It's not the most popular game out there. There's some criticisms of it. I just like the theme. I like the cooperative roles that are all kind of doing their own specific thing but still have to work together so they're not isolated roles but they are unique roles and it's very difficult for one role to tell another what to do i like the kind of controlled chaos of the app that delivers the machinations of the evil alien invaders i like the design of the board i like the ufo minis it's not in space, technically, but there are spaceships, so basically a space game. <laughs> I will say that my preferred way to play is two-player. Uh, it's kind of intended to be a four-player game, but I think if you have a four-player group that plays it a lot, you can just get really good at your role, and then it feels like there's not that much to do. But if you play two-player, you're taking on two roles, and then as you get good at those roles, like at first it's overwhelming, and then it's just like, oh, there's a lot of stuff to do, but I can handle it. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of the most fun way to play. There's less time sitting and waiting for your turn and more just trying to do your job efficiently. Now, did you play the XCOM video game first, or are you coming into this blind? I did not play the XCOM video game first. I have played the XCOM video game now, and I really enjoy it. And it's funny because the the board game is kind of more on the like managing the base side of the game versus like the tactical aspect where you're guiding your troops and trying to surround aliens and take them down. Uh, That part is all just kind of handled by quick dice rolls. But in the video game, I prefer, I like the tactical for the game. So I don't know what that means, but I think it captures the spirit without having to try and capture the exact mechanics of the video game. Yeah, it's an interesting approach because the tactical combat seems tailor-made for a board game. And then they decide to go and try and emulate the operational side of base building and 
uh, operation management. So I wonder why they actually took that approach, but it seems that they at least got one fan. <laughs> they have one fan. I mean, they, I may be the only one, but it's a game I can play with my wife, so that's fine. Because any most two-player games, I can really only play with my wife. But when you're playing with two players, you're just taking over two the two other exact roles, or there's no other differences. You tell the computer, you tell the app how many players you are, and I think it changes like the exact amount of time you have. But other than that, yeah, you pretty much take the exact roles and you just kind of divide them how you think best. It's not changing the function of either of the roles that you're doing. And it is real time? It's kind of 50-50 real time. You do a bunch of stuff in real time which is preparation for all the stuff that's being thrown at you. And you get the app tells you, oh, there's UFOs in North America. And, oh, you need to pick a technology to research. And, oh, there's enemies in the base. And, oh, you got to send your soldiers on the mission. And all that's happening kind of at a crazy pace. And then you got you to, gotta like, put your guys in place. And then the time phase ends. And then you step through each part of the board and you roll dice and kind of see if you succeeded. Um, so there's kind of a push your luck element there. Hmm. You can put more guys in places to increase your odds of success, but um, that also costs more money. And so one guy is the commander who has all the money and you don't have much money. So he's yelling at you like, no, you can only have three soldiers, not five. Get rid of those two guys. And, the other guy's got satellites that let you move guys around and fix your mistakes. So it's just, it's fun. Sounds fun. And who publishes this one again? That would be Fantasy Flight Games. Oh, okay. Surprisingly, I know. it's That's not a publisher you're going to see a lot on this top seven list. Uh, <laughs> anyway. So just one more question on XCOM. If you hadn't played the video game before the board game, why were you interested in playing the board game at all? Space. Thematically speaking, it just, it appeals to me. I mean, mm-hmm. fighting off an, an alien invasion. I, I hadn't been avoiding the XCOM video game. I just hadn't played it yet. There was a period of my life where I kind of stopped playing a lot of video games for a while. And I've gotten back into them because I remembered that they're fun and they're a good way to blow off steam for a little while. There was just the thematic aspect and the integration of the digital app with the real-time mm-hmm. board game cooperative action. Like, I like cooperative games. I like technology. It was one of the first games that integrated an app directly into the gameplay, and so I was very interested in seeing what that was like. There was the promise of being able to open the box and jump right into playing without having to read a rule book, which I did, and it was okay. Uh, it was fine. I think that it was still a learning game. I don't know that it improved the first game experience over having to explain the rules beforehand, but it certainly worked for what it was. But So just kind of all those things. It was an interesting mix of elements to me. So game number six is, uh, at the moment, is Pandemic. I like Pandemic in general, but I put Pandemic Legacy Season 2 Pandemic is a game that I play a lot with my wife. Again, it's cooperative. It's a game we play two-player a lot. Um, We've played most of the expansions, which add wild and crazy things. We played Season 1, which was really cool. So when Season 2 came out, we were just very excited to jump on it. And it was just, it was a really cool direction that they took it in. Really felt like this cool 12-game arc where you're developing your resource network as you go and like, making choices that matter from game to game. You know, season one kind of felt like each game gave you a unique challenge to deal with. And then there were some minor things on the board that were permanent. And, you know, you could get injured or whatever or lose people. And that was cool. But then season two was like, oh, you're actually like actively modifying the board state to make things easier the next game or that could make things harder the next game or that like are leading to somewhere like you're unlocking parts of the board. So it was just a really kind of cool culmination of the pandemic system with this really unique legacy 
campaign that was fun to play. It was a game I could play with my wife. And so we could actually play the campaign. We had so much fun. And to be honest, the ending, the last game was kind of lame and I didn't like it very much. But 11 out of 12 months of a campaign being super, super fun can't just be discounted because of one kind of last lackluster game. Did it leave it open for a season three? I mean, considering the way that season one ended and then they just like jumped 75 years ahead for season two, like I don't think anything's going to stop them from doing a season three storyline wise. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see what they do. They weren't necessarily connected directly. There were some kind of throwbacks to season one that if you had played season one, you'd be like, ah, I get what that is. And sort of a, a connection, but not really like anything directly related. Like it didn't feel like a direct sequel. It just felt like, oh, this is in the same world. So who knows, you know, who knows where they'll go with season three. They could reset it. They could go, they could start a new world. They could go to space. I don't know. Do you still play it now that you've completed the campaign? Uh, we have not. I don't, I don't think we will. Season one felt more like, oh, you could kind of keep playing the game on this board that you made. But season two felt more like, all right, this is like done. We did it. We're done. I believe that Pandemic Rising Tide has kind of a similar mechanism where you're you're like adding cubes to locations instead of taking them away, which is original Pandemic. But we've we've been playing other games, so we haven't really played any Pandemic in a while. But I don't think we will go back to the Season 2 board at all. It's kind of a one-and-done campaign, which I am okay with. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I I know they kind of advertise it as being able to be played again, but the main draw to me seems the the campaign. Uh, I noticed that you have two cooperative games in a row. Are you a pretty big fan of cooperative games? I, I do like cooperative games. Partially, at least partially, because a lot of my gaming time is with my wife. She prefers cooperative games. And it's nice not to have hard feelings against each other at the end of the night. Uh, You win together, you lose together. Even like my gaming group, like we came out of playing a lot of RPGs where even though you have one player who's the game master, you're working with the other players to accomplish goals. So it kind of naturally leads into playing a lot of cooperative games, um, especially games that take kind of Dungeons and Dragons like ideas where you're playing these characters who have cool abilities and running around and doing not not that pandemic is that but a lot of cooperative games have that kind of role playing aspect to them so a lot of the games they play are cooperative it's true a lot of the games that uh, I wrote down that were competing for a top seven weren't necessarily cooperative but oh well <laughs> at the end of the day co-op wins what's even better than co-op in my opinion, is my number five game, Battlestar Galactica, which is co-op except that half the people are evil and trying to destroy your spaceship. I toyed with this one and and New Angeles, which is similar in some ways. It's kind of, it's almost like a spiritual successor now that Fantasy Flight Games has lost the Battlestar Galactica license. So we won't be seeing any more Battlestar Galactica, the board game stuff. Oh, no. Uh, which is <laughs> which is too bad because I, I feel like this game could do well with a complete revamp, like a second edition that just takes all of the fun stuff from the expansions and gets rid of all the stupid stuff. Because I, I admit it, this game is has a lot of junk. It has a lot of stuff that's just like clunky and not that fun and then you buy the expansions and there's like cool stuff in it but then there's a lot of extra stuff that's just not fun at all i have you're really selling it it's it's just you just got to own it (laughs) but that being said i have a couple expansions i figured out which modules are fun which i like you mix you get the right mix together uh you play with five players 
And I just, I like the theme. I like the idea of being on the spaceship with a crew and you don't know who to trust, but you have to trust people. I really like the mechanism that the best way to win is like on your turn, you get to move and you get to do an action. But one of the actions that some people can do is you play a card that gives somebody else the ability to do two actions. And that kind of forces you to be like, who do I trust? Like, who am I going to give this? Because like, if you can do two actions, that's way better for your ship survival. But if you give two actions to someone who wants to blow your ship up, that's really bad. So it's this long, it's a really long game. It takes three to four hours to play if everybody knows how to play. You're just paranoid the whole time. It's really hard to tell who's the Cylons. But I just, I really enjoy it. And I really enjoy the pain and suffering it causes. <laughs> I like spaceships and I like flying around blowing up Cylons. And I like trying to figure out who the Cylon is. And I like being a Cylon and trying to hide and then revealing myself at the key moment. Or just like getting thrown into the brig. And it creates great stories to tell. And I like it for that. I have played this game one time with you, Wolfie, (laughs) uh, because you made me. And I came at it from playing lots of Resistance and other social deduction games that I enjoyed. And I thought, why would I need a four-hour social deduction game? And I kind of felt that way at the end of it, too. (laughs) But I was surprised how into it I got just because it does an excellent job of creating those tense situations and making them feel like there's a lot at stake. Yes, it's bloated and I don't necessarily want to play it ever again, (laughs) but the crazy thing is I think I played, I must've played it three, four five years ago. And I still remember some of those pivotal moments in the game. So it's doing something right. It's doing something exciting it's just not something that i want to participate in very often which is understandable it's very stressful yeah i i do i i like what you said the game has impact so it's not just like who's the spies it's like who's the spies and finding out who the spies are like means something because you're invested mm-hmm. in this four-hour game of trying to get your spaceship home without blowing up and it really sucks when you're about to make it and then the last Cylon jumps out at you and blows up your fuel supply and you lose and you're like, why didn't we, we should have known it was you the whole time. It's so obvious now. And I like, it makes that matter, which is cool. And I just like the, I like the story. It is funny. I, this is another game that's based on an existing property and I had not seen the show before I played the, the game. I was just intrigued by the space and the science fiction and the kind of hidden role stuff. It's a little surprising how much it doesn't matter. I have no interest in Battlestar Galactica. And at the time, whether someone is a Cylon seemed like (laughs) a problem of utmost importance. (laughs) I did end up watching the show and it was impressive how well the show captured the feel of the board game. So uh, but the show is only good for two seasons and then it takes a steep downhill course. Cosmic Encounter is my number four. And wait, who publishes both this and Battlestar Galactica in case anyone's... Battlestar Galactica is no longer published by Fantasy Flight Games, but it was published by Fantasy Flight Games. It's no longer, It's just out of print now, so it's not like another publisher picked it up. Cosmic Encounter is also published by fantasy flight games and i'm not gonna say that this is the last time you're gonna hear the word fantasy flight games come out of my mouth on this list but i'm also not gonna say that there are any other publishers on the rest of the list (laughs) (laughs) so for those of you who wrote down rio grand games on your bingo card you can go home now Sorry, losers. Dominion did not make it, although it was a contender. Anyway, number four, Cosmic Encounter. This game is super polarizing. It's really high up on a lot of people's lists. Frequently is in the top five of Tom Vassell's top 100 games of all time. 
It's at the top of Shut Up and Sit Down's top list. It's at the top of other people's list. And then other people just kind of hate it, which is fine. You know, I don't care. (laughs) I enjoy it. I like it. I think that it is just, it's got these crazy powers that break the game, but for the most part, every power breaks the game. So you always have something to do. You can choose to stick with the craziest powers that just like make no sense, but they're super fun. Like the guy where you're just trying to get all your own ships blown up or the guy that just wins. Like if you play two for too long, he just wins. It's just fun to see the different combinations of powers. And though some may disagree, I like the card play. I think there's a lot of strategy And even though there's some luck of the draw where it's, you know, if you get a bunch of high cards, that helps you win. You can use their strategies to get rid of your hand so you can draw new cards. There's strategies to use your low cards. There's lots of negotiation and bluffing and um, just trying to work with people to take your hand and do something with it. And I think that's cool. And I think it's fun. And I like convincing people to negotiate with me and then not doing it. And I like convincing people to negotiate with me and then negotiating. I like just trying to figure out clever ways to use the powers. And so it's, it's just entertaining to me. I, don't, I won't argue that it, the powers are all balanced. Uh, I won't argue that some of the powers are not as fun to use as others. But I think it's, it's just kind of silly, but... It allows you to kind of think and be creative and have fun. I will say that it's been a while since I've played. Part of that is just as a game reviewer, I have constant obligations to play other games. It's kind of a beast to teach new people. And an early bad impression makes it really hard to convince someone to play again, even if I think they would like it. Mm -hmm. I have like five or six expansions for this game, which mostly just add new sets of powers. And I realize that, especially when teaching new people, like it's better. Like I used to just think, oh, like it's just every power is kind of unique. And so it doesn't really matter. We can mix in any of the powers. But I, I started to realize that some of the expansion powers or a lot of the expansion powers are keep pushing the envelope which is fine, but it also makes it harder for new players to kind of get into it and figure out what's going on. So I just need to stick with the base game and get more people into it and kind of see how the system works and and not worry so much about these like psychotic alien powers that are really breaking the game before they even learn how to play the game itself. But I still, I really like the game. I would, I would love to play it more often than I do. And it just sticks with me, you know, it's just fun. And it's one of those games that creates memorable moments, like the time when I won the game, but then someone else switched stuff with me at the last second and they won the game instead. That was so, that was infuriating. Cool. (laughs) Of all the games on your list, this is the least appealing (laughs) game to me have you played it alex i have not and i don't think i ever will because i'm mm-hmm. that kind of i think you would person. hate it i like and that's fine it's not it's just one of those games that you either love it or you hate it and i don't think there's really a lot of people who are just like oh yeah cosmic encounter it's okay yeah. i can enjoy silliness and chaos and randomness but I can only take it in small doses, and Cosmic Encounter doesn't seem like a small dose game. It's not really a small dose. No. Of the games I have played the most, I like Cosmic <laughs> Encounter the least. <laughs> so I've played a lot of Cosmic Encounter, many, many, many games, and it took me a while to realize it, but I just don't like it. It's it's so frustrating when other people are like the zombie or you know these really powerful powers, and you keep drawing Fido. <laughs> Fido is great. It's just, Fido can fetch. Uh, okay. Yeah, I know Fido can fetch, and it's stupid. <laughs> or, hey, you've got a 40, and I've got a handful of negotiates. That's wonderful. It's just, it's not fun. Or, like, those sudden turns of fortune. Like, you say, oh, that time I almost won, and then someone stole it from me at the last second. <laughs> That's not fun for me. 
if I if I am winning and I am expecting to win and it's stolen for me like that, I'm not a table flipper, but I can see myself potentially being a table <laughs> flipper in that in that circumstance. I know there's where you work. There's a bunch of people who are really into it. Do they still play it a lot there? Or? They have to organize kind of underground games, <laughs> so because they know that I'll put it down. I put down any power plays. Occasionally, they'll like do some background, backdoor dealing and try to get a game going. I think since you've left, they've probably played maybe three times, and I'm wow. okay with that. I know if if they say they're playing it and it happens anyway, and there's not another game going on. I say I'll watch and I watch five minutes to say that I spent time with my friends and then go back to my office. It's not even fun to watch. I just, I You're just shaking your head the whole time. <laughs> I do. I, cause I'm infuriated <laughs> on other people's behalf. It's just kind of, I just like it. That's just fun. It makes me feel like it's made. It makes well, me feel clever. Sometimes I feel like for a game that rules dense, you should have more control over your destiny. I mean, granted, as you say, there is some creativity in, in what you do but some, not enough for me to feel like I am really the captain of my own fate. So I, if I'm learning a game or playing a game that's that complex, I don't want it to come down to, oh, I stole it from you at the last second. That's you know, fair. no thank you. I also, I do wonder, like, like I learned this game pretty early on in the hobby and, you know, didn't know anything back then and was very, you know, I, I, bought, I got Android, my first game, and discussed in a previous <laughs> podcast. Uh, and so then, you know, going to Cosmic Encounter, it didn't seem that complicated. I do wonder if I picked it up for the first time now, if I would like it as much, or if I would just be like, this is a, this is ridiculous. There's kind of like a charm of just like mm-hmm. having had it for a while, having it one of the early games, kind of appreciating like the crazy chaos of it. As it stands, I do like it, and it's it's in my top seven. So this is one of these things. You hate Cosmic Encounter. I hate Ra. We're both happy. We both live on. You know what? Alex, though, is a neutral observer. So maybe he should play the game and really pass judgment on it. And then that'll be object. He's objective. That sounds made up. That sounds false. Sounds like you're just trying to make an enemy right now. (laughs) No, really. I I play to negotiate. Really, (laughs) really. So my number three is Fury of Dracula. And this is a game about the Fury of Dracula. He's so angry that he was killed in the book that he came back. And he's trying to hunt down. No, actually, he's not trying to hunt down anyone. He's trying to raise up an army of vampires to take over Europe. And you and your intrepid band of anti-Dracula hunters are trying to stop him. So they're hunting Dracula. It's sort of an asymmetrical team game. So there's a team of four players against a team of Dracula, who is player-controlled. And Dracula has like a hidden movement thing where he has a trail of cards that show locations. So you're trying to... And the hunters are trying to narrow them down. And if they stumble on a location that matches one of the cards, it gets revealed which helps you track down where Dracula is, but then he can lay traps and leave vampires behind that you have to fight. And also, if you actually fight Dracula, he's very tough and will turn into a bat and fly away before you can kill him. I know hidden movements, the hidden movement genre is not everyone. I enjoy it, and I think that Fury of Dracula is just really well made. It's big and complex, but it's well-crafted. It seems very well balanced in every game I've played, except maybe like one. It has come down to the last turn or two where either side could win. I've had those games go where the hunters kill Dracula, and I've had that, the games go where Dracula barely manages to slip away and, and win. But it's just this really crazy cat and mouse thing, and I like that it's, you know... There's kind of like like Scotland Yard, which is a very simple hidden movement game. I like the fact that there's more going on. There's there's traps that you have to deal with. So there's an element of bluffing where Dracula may try and lead you somewhere where you'll get caught by a trap or where you'll have to fight a vampire and maybe get hurt so he can kind of swoop in and take you out. And at the same time, the hunters are trying to lay their own traps and trying to 
figure out where Dracula is and kind of box him in and take him down. And it is complex. It does take about three hours to play. It's it's exhausting mentally. (laughs) I don't really play it unless I have exactly five people. It's hard enough to manage your one person and work together as a team to try and figure out where Dracula is versus like managing four different characters with their cards and abilities. But I think it's, it doesn't scale. It no, it's you. You have to use every character. So if you play with less than four, you have people controlling multiple characters. And which side do you prefer? I like both, honestly. At the moment, I would like to play more of the hunters because the last few games I've played as Dracula, and you know, I often end up playing as Dracula as the person who's teaching the game since Dracula is kind of harder to teach since he's got some unique things that you don't necessarily want to reveal that you want to use when it'd be like, wait, how does this power work again? Can you explain this to me? Person who is trying to kill me. <laughs> so just because I haven't, I think haven't played the hunters as much, I would want to play them more, but I, I think each side is equally enjoyable. That's another thing I like about the game is like both sides kind of feel like, ah, like, this is so hard. Like, how do I get away from you? Or like, how do I catch you? Both sides have this kind of tense feeling of like, this feels impossible. Like, how do we do this? And so that's kind of a sign that they're both fairly well balanced and it requires a lot of effort on both teams to, to come out victorious. I think of all the games on your list, this is the one I am most willing to play. I really liked the, the book when I read it. Uh, Dracula and I know there's a new edition the fourth edition but you have the third edition right and the look at least of that edition looks incredible and I think pretty much the only thing that they changed about the look in the fourth edition is I think they changed the minis are they here uh, probably uh, they are they are painted <laughs> but the the miniatures are actually the worst part about the third edition because looking down on the table it's really hard to tell who's who like at a quick glance and a friend of mine painted my minis so it's a lot easier now and that helps a lot but when i first got the game it was like gray blobs and it's like who is this again so that you know that just makes it harder to play the game like mechanically speaking rather than mm-hmm. just the challenge of the, the strategy of what you're playing yeah we should play sometime it's fun i like it all right, number two. Oh, and yes, I, I know what you're all thinking. Fury of Dracula, the edition I have was published by Fantasy Flight Games. It's fine. <laughs> I don't have a type. I don't have a problem. <laughs> it doesn't they, get better. They know their audience. It doesn't get better Fantasy from here, people. My number two game on the list right now. I want you to know that there's a lot of games... <laughs> that that I just I I was juggling this list around a lot. I have games that are in my top twenty that are not fantasy flight games. Me too. At least three of them. <laughs> and actually, there's like six, but it's fine. Oh wow! But most of those are Z-Man games, to be honest. So. So still Asmodee Umbrella. So it's just how it is. Anyway, number two, Star Wars Armada, which is, yes, it's a fantasy <laughs> flight game. It's kind of, I guess, more outside of the box. It's more of a miniatures game than a board game. You know, you got to buy all the little ships and, you know, build your fleets. I really enjoy playing this game so much, and it's very expensive, but also, like, it's it's surprisingly not it doesn't have to be as expensive as it initially looks. You already pre-ordered your two hundred dollar ship. It's so tempting. I I <laughs> it's it's absurd, but uh, I just want to. Yeah, I I want that ship, but it's very expensive. But yeah, I mean you can you can get a lot of mileage just out of the core set and another two or three ships. I mean, kind of play with different configurations and even just play with one configuration and try and master it or tweak it by uh, an upgrade card or two. I played X-Wing for a while, which was fun. 
and then Armada came out and it sort of just spoke to my style of play a lot better. X-Wing is more about kind of the seat of your pants, kind of tactical decisions. Do I turn left here? Do I turn right? Do I go three or four? Like, how do I get in position to get behind this guy? Armada is more kind of like you're kind of looking at the battlefield and thinking like, how can I be in the right position three turns from now so I can blow the heck out of that Star Destroyer and maybe actually destroy it because I've shot it four times and then the fifth time I shoot it a lot and actually blow it up, which is hard to do. I find the fleet building really interesting as you combine uh, not just like picking which ships and upgrades you want, but each ship has kind of a clear style that's, for me, easier to parse. And then you have your squadrons, which are little support dudes, and it's kind of interesting experimenting with how those affect the battlefield. And it's just it's just like really, really satisfying, that, that moment when you get your ship in the right position and you get to take two shots on the, the Imperial Star Destroyer and you've got your perfect upgrade, so you get to add extra dice and like set certain dice and you're rolling like 12 dice and you're just like, yeah, gotcha. It's awesome. It is a dice-based combat game, but I think it's, it's unique in that the combat dice actually have a majority of the sides are successive. You have, there are three different colors of dice for short range, medium range, and long range. The short range dice tend to have a lot more damage on them for the hits, but then there's there's one or two sides that are misses, but every other side is a hit and usually a double hit. And then the long range, you tend to do less damage. There's, I think, maybe three blank sides, or like some of the sides aren't necessarily damaged, but what's called accuracy, which lets you affect what defenses the ships can use, and then there's your medium range, which actually has no blank sides at all. So you don't have those moments of like, oh, I just rolled all blanks for the third time in a row. It's just like, oh, look at all this damage I rolled. They're like, oh, this time I rolled a lot of accuracy icons so I can prevent you from using all your defense tokens and still get some damage in. Like, It feels like you're commanding this giant ship and unleashing the ports of laser blasters against your opponents and it's just a very satisfying experience that does sound more satisfying than kind of a slow burn although this is still a pretty long game right it takes about two hours uh another thing i like about it is that you play for six rounds at most so like with x-wing technically you there's no round limit and you can you just play until you reach a goal or um, the standard game is to blow up all of the enemy ships. And so then you get, you get stuck in these kind of patterns where you both have one ship left and you're just like flying around and then you keep rolling and missing and it just keeps going, even though it's pretty clear who's going to win eventually, but technically, you know, there's a chance for either side to win and it can just kind of drag. Whereas this game, you've got six rounds. Once you're experienced, you can probably finish in about 90 minutes and a lot of times we'll end after round five just because there is kind of a moment where if you blow up the right ship, then it becomes pretty impossible for them to win. There's sort of a built-in scenario system where part of your fleet build is you include objective cards. And then based on your initiative, which I won't go into too much detail, but one player gets to be the first player and the other player gets to pick an objective from the other player's fleet which gives you goals to do during the game. So it doesn't feel like a drudge. You know, it's it feels like the game moves along. You're activating ships, like alternating. There's a lot of stuff to do, and but your turns don't take super long. So it feels like it keeps moving. Is it for two players only? Yes. There's arguably rules for four-player, which involve just kind of... Like, yay, you're on the same team. Take turns activating your ships. It's not really... <laughs> it, it. It's okay. I've played four-player. It's okay. I would... To me, it would make more sense to just have two games of one versus one. But it's it's not a bad way to, like, teach new players. 
but that costs probably a billion dollars. You can kind of have experienced players guiding the new players. But yeah, it pretty much is a two-player game. And the game takes place on a 2D plane, right? Yes. I always thought that was a little weird. I played a little bit of X-Wing, and especially for X-Wing because it was borrowed the system for Wings of Glory. And that had rules for height differences and three mm. dimensions. And I always thought it was weird that an actual game that's in space doesn't have rules for that. It always kind of threw me off a little bit. Yeah. Although you hear more about X-Wing than Wings of Glory, I think. <laughs> Although Wings of Glory probably has the more devoted fan base somewhere. <laughs> sure. It also is not Star Wars. Yeah, true. I will say that even though that there's not really three dimensions... In Armada, you know, it's like you can fly through certain things and it doesn't really affect you because you just kind of assume like, oh, these people are just flying around. They're like flying over this, you know. So there's some mechanics that lightly simulate the three dimensions, but you can still run into other ships if you run into them and you can't fly over them. Gotcha. And where do you keep all your ships? Like on your nightstand or do you cuddle with them? Or I am <laughs> sitting on them right now because I had to get rid of all the furniture in my house. Nice. To fit all the you know, it's My closet is filled with boxes. <laughs> There's Someone is like super awesome and created these things called, what are they called? They're called micro hangers. And there's just these templates you print off on cardstock paper and you cut them up and you glue them together and it makes these tiny little boxes that fit the ships perfectly and it's great so it's actually when you when you use those the footprint is actually relatively small considering the number of ginormous ships i don't know how anyone's going to store that superstar destroyer other than just like leaving it on their table 100 percent of the time and just telling their family like <laughs> i figure i'll just double as your table just eat around it okay just Move into it. It's the Star Destroyer's table now. It's a lawn ornament. (laughs) (laughs) Expensive lawn ornament, too. All right. So my number one game, which is going to shock the world. Kalis. First of all, it is published by none other than Fantasy Flight Games. (gasps) A small indie publisher. It is not Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition. (laughs) It is not Twilight Imperium 2nd Edition. We're running out of Twilight Imperiums. It's Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. I think we've just hit um, more than 10 references to the word Twilight Imperium. So someone lost a bet. Yeah, I have to pay out a lot. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We should have just changed the podcast to the top four Twilight Imperiums. It's true. (laughs) I I can't really officially judge that because I've never played the 2nd Edition, but... I know I talk about this game a lot, but that's because it's just its just the ideal game of the type of game that I like to play. It allows strategy, and it's you're building a space empire. You're building fleets of spaceships. There are these cool miniatures. There's rules for negotiation and bribery. You can trade. You can research new technology. You can start wars with people. It's hard to truly convince people what it is without them playing it. And again, it's a game I know isn't for everyone. Certainly the minimum six-hour playtime is a turnoff to many people. Fourth edition is a little slimmer than third edition. So six hours actually feels doable with four or five players. Certainly not talking about 12 hours it fills that time with so much stuff to do. And I appreciate the length because it really allows you to invest in this empire. It's not just play for an hour and then you you throw it all away. It's like, you're going to be with this thing all day. So try and make good choices. (laughs) With fourth edition, they've really kind of refined so many of the systems and fixed a lot of the clunkiness of, the third edition. I really like the action system where your your actions on the board are kind of a, a resource in and of themselves. Uh, you use these command counters that you have to accrue and you get a few every turn, but that's not enough to do everything you want. So there are ways to get more that you have to kind of go after. You put these on the board and it kind of 
it lets players take one turn at a time without having to move all of their units and spend 20 minutes like updating the board state of all their ships. It's just like you, you move, you do the thing, and the, the mechanic itself like tracks which ships have been activated, which sectors have been activated. The new trade system is, is pretty ingenious, which gives each player these commodities which are use, useless to themselves. But when they give them to another player, they become money. So, you know, you're motivated to use that to, if you can pay someone to do something you want them to do, that's more valuable than holding on to something that's worthless to you. So it kind of encourages this, this interaction. Um, there's the whole politics phase where you're literally voting in new rules of the game that can drastically affect people. So it's just this grand sci-fi epic experience that is just so worth the time you put into it. And it's just so much fun. I think I've played this game more in terms of number of games played and quantity of time spent playing than any other game in my collection. Just because it just begs to be played again and again. So I've had it for a long time. Wow. And so even though it's such a long game and takes takes pretty much a whole day, it's it's something that I make happen at least twice a year. Yeah. I just love it. Well this this seems like a great choice for a game <laughs> for you. Yes. It's not for you, John. No, I uh I stay far away from Twilight Imperium. Like th- there are probably some games you could convince me to play. You could probably convince me if you twisted my arm to play Battlestar Galactica again, I would play Fury of Dracula. <laughs> There's no way I'm stepping anywhere near this. It's just so fun. It's just so interesting. There is such a thing as too much game. And I think Twilight Imperium <laughs> probably doubled the amount of too much game and then added 10%. Which is, which is... I've played Twilight Imperium. <gasps> I don't like Twilight Imperium. But... I can appreciate the idea of a game as an event. And I remember when I set up my session for trying Twilight Imperium, we made a whole day of it. We barbecued some tacos. We had people there from eight in the morning setting up, getting ready, uh, putting all the pieces out. It was a, it was a big kind of, a, it was a nice day. I didn't particularly like the, the game, but the idea of setting aside this whole chunk of time and everyone knows that they're invested and there's something special that's going to happen, it really kind of appeals to me. And you don't see that outside of uh, wolfy <laughs> type of games. That's true. I do like the food that is always involved. <laughs> that was definitely my highlight of the day. Some pretty nice tacos. But, you know, I'm not scared of length. It doesn't put me off. I do think that length can add something to a game. There's some sort of investment into it. Like we were talking about in uh, Battlestar Galactica, the trader moves after three hours are a lot more impactful than the trader moves in a game of resistance. It's over in 30 minutes. So yeah. there's something to be said about that time investment. I think it does add something to the experience. Indeed. If done well. And you also convinced, I don't know if convinced, because I think Ruel was going to play anyway, but you at least, under your tutelage, he uh, he won his first game and now he's a convert to... It's another one of those games where like, if it hits you in the right way, you just it doesn't let go. And you just like, ah just think about it a lot and you want to play it more. And then to some people, it just doesn't appeal to you and that's fine. It appeals a lot to me Mm -hmm. and it's got minis and it's in space and it was, and it was published by fantasy flight, Flight. the trifecta. For those of you who are keeping score at home, that is six (laughs) out of seven games in Wolfie's top seven that were published by fantasy flight games. I don't have a problem. I can stop at any time. (laughs) <laughs> it was only partially in jest when at the beginning I said that he single-handedly keeps fantasy flight games in business. I, only honorable mentions that did not quite make the top seven. Ascending Empires, not a fantasy flight game, but great. Eclipse, not a fantasy flight game, although definitely, you know, 
a Wolfie game. War of the Ring. Dominion was close. So there, that's a few. There's a lot of fun games out there. It's hard to pick mm-hmm. seven. But when you go to your top seven, I mean, it's it's something about those it's, double Fs. They really speak to you. Freedom and freeze, man. <laughs> Every year, I'm you know, I'm waiting for Android 2.0 to come so it can be in my top seven. And so I'm just always staring at the new Fantasy Flight releases every year. I don't know. That's just uh, there's something to be said for whatever design philosophy that studio follows that just kind of speaks to me. And it's been fun to see them grow and over the years from you know the Battlestar Galactica era where everything was big and huge and also clunky and hard to parse and took too long just because you're Mm -hmm. arguing about the rules and what they mean and why does this have to be like this and now they still kind of have this big like epic mindset but their design prowess has refined and the games they make tend to be a little more streamlined and a little more clean mechanically that still appeals to me I do find myself more interested in fantasy flight games than I used to be because I feel like mechanically they are catching up with kind of the audacity of the of the theming. Good times. Well, thank you, Wolfie, for sharing your top seven. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Breathing Flames podcast from IslayTheDragon.com. You can find our reviews on IslayTheDragon. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Google+. Board Game Geek Guild. You can email us at islaythepodcast at gmail.com or podcast at islaythedragon.com. Thank you so much for listening and keep slaying dragons. And I apologize. But not really. Yeah. Don't forget to thank our sponsors, Fantasy Flight. Oh. <laughs> Fantasy Flight, we love you. Wolfie loves you. One out of three gamers recommend fantasy flight <laughs> i'm gonna be honest this year at gen con my top games were not from fantasy flight it was bizarre oh, you just lost the sponsor i know don't put don't put this in this is an edit right here <laughs> quick we better stop recording to be fair that plaid hat was one of the was one of the ones so it still has the names they're like fantasy flight mini fantasy flight wannabes and i feel like they're just getting more of the Kind of narrative style unique like sci-fi games so like i wouldn't be shocked if android 2.0 came out as like a platinum game they're owned by Day, right yeah. yes or z yeah they were owned by z-man but now z-man's owned by Day, so they're all cross-pollinating yeah they're, they're all